I know one you all care about is transportation infrastructure. That is the next major piece of legislation that the president will be talking about and putting forward. And I know we can't wait any longer. Welcome to the AWC City Voice podcast, where we explore the issues that impact Washington cities. Every March, Washington city leaders typically fly to the other Washington to meet with our Washington state congressional delegation and advocate for cities at the federal level. This year, because of the ongoing pandemic, we met online with our U.S. senators from Washington state, Senator Maria Cantwell and Senator Patty Murray. The timing couldn't have been better, During our call, the House passed the Senate's version of the American Rescue Plan Act, ensuring $65.1 billion in direct federal aid to cities across the country. We had the opportunity to thank the senators for their tireless work in passing the historic legislation and discuss a variety of other city federal priorities along the way. It was a candid and informative 90-minute call. We've boiled down the conversation to just the highlights for you today. We'll start things off with AWC CEO Peter King who gives a snapshot of the events leading up to the passing of the American Rescue Plan and what's in it for cities. Later on, you will also hear the voice of our other gracious moderator, AWC President and Twist Mayor, Sue Ng Moody. Let's take a listen. I did want to talk a little bit about the American Rescue Plan, and you'll hear it referred to the ARP. This really started, uh, honestly, back in April after the uh, the CARES Act and uh, CRF funds were made available, we were beginning the push along with other cities and state municipal leagues and National League of Cities for additional funding to all cities, regardless of size, with more flexibility in its use. So we, we really started meeting uh, every other week uh, for strategy sessions uh, almost a year ago now. NLC created a campaign called Cities Are Essential. I know many of you are familiar with that, but the real focus was how can we get additional flexible funding available for all cities, given the fact that the CARES Act uh, targeted cities of of over 500,000 population and then monies that were sent to the state. So, you know, that all leads up to this historic action. So just some very quick highlights. And I want to say that um, this is a very complex issue. It's it's a massive amount of, of funding that's going throughout, um, not only to cities and towns, but throughout uh, state government, uh, various federal programs. So we're, we're just now getting the information and we don't have all the answers, but I did want to share some key points about it. There's a $65.1 billion in direct aid for all cities and towns nationwide. It's divided between entitlement cities and non-entitlement cities. And like the uh, CARES Act money, they define entitlement cities using the CDBG or Community Development Block Grant formula. Basically, cities above 50,000 population, but there are some exceptions. They'll be receiving money directly from the Treasury. And then the money for the non-entitlement cities will be sent through the state. We've got a meeting set up with our State Department of Commerce to begin that conversation about how they view the next steps in having this these funds available. It is flexible. Funds can be spent on responding to negative in- impacts of COVID-19. One of the areas that we felt it very important to have was to be able to replace lost revenue due to COVID-19. You, you all understand that the CARES Act money could not be used for lost revenue, so that's an allowable expense for premium pay for essential workers. And then also 
it was added that you could use it for necessary investments in water, sewer, and broadband infrastructure. So it's so an expansion of what was under the CARES Act. There are specific provisions about not being able to use funds for to cut taxes or to fund pensions. And the fund uh, are split into two different payments. Uh, the plan is that uh, the first half will be available 60 to 90 days after the bill becomes law. And then the second half will be available one year later. But there is a limit that the funds that are allocated to cities and towns must be spent by December of 2024. I will say that we did uh, publish a couple of weeks ago a preliminary city by city list. I would just encourage you to uh, monitor our legislative bulletin that comes out each week and also our City Voice newsletter. We'll be providing uh, a lot more information and detail on the amounts that are available and how those monies will be used. So very exciting that uh, this is a, a huge investment in our local communities and it gives you the flexibility to deal with local problems using federal resources. I think it's really important to know that we've been concentrating on the amounts of money that um, we're going to be going to cities and towns, but there are literally billions of other uh, funds that are going to be available for various safety net programs, unemployment support, rental assistance and housing, child care, uh, WIC and SNAP programs. There's also other federal funding available for public health, for school districts and businesses. Um, so I think it's really important as, as you begin to think about how you might use these federal resources to realize that there are other resources that are coming in to the state or potentially other direct recipients for businesses. So I think we have a job ahead of us to really coordinate the most effective use of all of these resources. And we'll certainly be as helpful as we can in that process. It also establishes emergency paid leave. Cities will now be eligible for reimbursement for costs of leave. And then a special fund was created, a $750 million fund for communities that are directly impacted uh, related to losses in tourism, travel, and outdoor recreation. So I know that's going to be an important element for many communities in our state. Let's move on to the next topic. Uh, we did talk a little bit about the fact that dealing with infrastructure has been on our agenda will continue to be on our agenda. Many of you are aware that back in four years ago now, we partnered with the Association of Washington Business, the County Association, and the Ports Association. Uh, we thought it would be um, very helpful for our four organizations to get together and, and commission a study to look at what are the true infrastructure needs in our state. So it really was an unprecedented partnership for the four groups to get together. At that time, four years ago, there was a lot of discussion about a, a major infrastructure package. So we thought it would be great to position our state to be able to share that information with members of our congressional delegation to say, as you look at a national infrastructure program, here's what we believe where money should be invested and in the needs that we have in our state. So. Uh, we updated this information back in 2019. Um, many of you have already seen this. Uh, we've got a two-page overview of the, of the uh, report itself, as well as the full report. So I would encourage you to take a look at that. Uh, we have used it regularly in talking with members of our congressional delegation. Their staff have been very appreciative of the fact that we all got together and provided this level of 
information. You know, we retained a, a private firm to put the report together. They looked at all sorts of reports and studies and recommendations. Uh, and rather than coming out with a comprehensive list of projects, we really tried to look at what are the needs statewide and how could federal assistance best support us. Our congressional delegation has by and large been very, very supportive of increased funding for cities. And I think that's important to note that our senators have been with us uh, since day one on this, and we really appreciate that and have thanked them. So as we look at infrastructure, I think the message we always like to say is, you know, pay me now or pay me later uh, on infrastructure improvements and infrastructure maintenance uh, is more expensive if we do it later. So we don't want to see continued deterioration of our infrastructure, and we will continue to press for additional funding from the federal level. As we waited for the senator's arrival, members of Senator Murray's staff provided us with a brief update about what's next in D.C. in the aftermath of the Rescue Plan Act's passage. My name is Zach Malov. I handle Senator Murray's transportation and infrastructure policy um, out in D.C., so we're, we're really pleased to have an opportunity to chat with you all, give you a little bit of an overview about what we expect to, to see and happen over the next six months or so. From our end, we are actively focused on, on the next legislative agenda item, which right now, at least, will be focused in the transportation infrastructure space. The House just passed the American Rescue Plan, so we were awfully pleased to see that bill go to the president's desk. It was a bit of a slog uh, on our end, but we managed to get through to it. And so we are now turning our attention to, to the next item agenda. We're trying to establish, I think, with the committees of jurisdiction in both the House and the Senate and our leadership team and the White House, how exactly we are going to proceed to this infrastructure transportation effort. There are a number of, of committees already at work in both the House and Senate on the uh, surface transportation reauthorization effort. Just a reminder, we are currently operating under a one-year extension of the FAST Act, which expired uh, last fall. And, and, and so it will again need our attention this fall. Um, and so the committees of jurisdiction in the Senate, there are four of them are, are already underway. The, the, the Environment and, and Public Works Committee, which handles the highways portion of the bill, has already held a hearing I'll remind you, they passed a bill. They were the only ones to do so in the Senate. They passed a bill in 2019 for a surface reauthorization. So they're back to work on that. And right now, that is a bipartisan effort. The House uh, simultaneously is working on a surface transportation bill. Um, the House Transportation Infrastructure Committee, led by Peter DeFazio, has, has also been pretty openly talking about their plans. And so they're well along their way in addition. Simultaneously, there's quite a bit of talk about uh, a larger infrastructure climate jobs bill that the president and the White House have clearly prioritized. Many of you have seen that Senator Murray's office has sent out solicitation reforms for input from folks like you on the ground. Um, and so we are, we're going through those as we speak. And we expect to see um, a real effort here to pass a, a large scale um, infrastructure bill. Again, we don't know exactly how that process is going to work out. A lot of folks have said they'd like to see it as a bipartisan effort. I think a lot of folks are, are skeptical that we can find 10 Republicans to support us and what we want to do. But those conversations are ongoing. And, you know, Senator Murray has been having conversations with the rest of Senate leadership, with the White House um, on how we think we can get something like this across the finish line. And I think we are looking for some real guidance from 
the White House on this too. I mean, this, the Secretary of Transportation has done a great job in laying out some of their priorities. He's been on the talk shows a number of times. I think you know the White House policy folks are working on on a proposal. Hopefully, that we'll see soon from them as well. So a lot's sort of happening in the transportation infrastructure space. Last thing that we'll add, which uh, which is of particular importance, I, th- I think Senator Murray will touch on briefly as well, is we are we're hoping to start the FY22 appropriations process as soon as we can. I, you know, again, we're we're waiting on the president's budget proposal to come to Congress, which traditionally kicks off the appropriations process. Many of you know there will be uh, the process will be a bit different now with with Democrats in the majority. There is a, a sort of a loose agreement on earmark on a return of earmarks um, between the Senate and House appropriation chairs. And so we are looking forward to uh, engaging in that process as well. I mean, again, that's a bit of a ways off, I think probably um, you know, late spring, early summer at the earliest, but we will certainly communicate what we need from you all when that happens. Just wanted a quick follow-up. If you could comment a little bit more on the process that you will be going through on the on the projects, the, the, the earmarks, you know, I know that people yeah. are are um, submitting information to you. There's a deadline coming up later this month, but how are you looking at those and how are you prioritizing those requests? Yeah, so um, the way that we set up our solicitation process is designed to mirror the timeline of the the EPW committee in, in their, I guess, larger pursuit of passing their section of the bill. So they have asked Democratic senators to turn around their top priorities by March 19th. So the committee can receive them, vet them, and get them processed for for the actual bill writing stage. So uh, by by asking from, from you all for your input by the 15th, we hope we can take that week, next week, um, to really to, to cull through, to vet, to look at um, everything we have in front of us and to, I mean, we're, we're, we're trying to run, I mean, it's not like we have a formula that we're going to use to identify the, you know, the most merit-based pro- projects or anything like that. I mean, I think we will, we'll probably be turning around and asking some follow-up questions, but I think we're going to be looking at, you know, the, the economic impact a project has. I think we're going to be looking at the region or location a project exists. I think we're going to be looking at project readiness. Um, so I think we're going to be using some of the traditional metrics that you see in this type of effort to really prioritize you know, what we want to submit to the EPW committee. But again, I mean, this is going to involve more than just, I mean, we have the Commerce Committee, which Senator Cantwell runs now. I mean, they're going to have a major role to play you know, from the rail and aviation side. And then I think you're also going to see a pretty big role uh, that's going to be played by the banking committee who, who will process all the transit related questions. And so, you know, we're going to have to have a pretty comprehensive effort here. But basically, to answer your question, we're, we, we want to use everything that, that we're receiving from the ground to turn around and to share with our, our authorizers, our bill writers, and uh, our leadership in the White House. Zach, I know you've heard this for four years in a row, but we we partnered with the Association of Washington Business, the counties and the ports on that infrastructure report. Uh, we did an update two years ago. I know you've seen that before, but I would really encourage the office to take a look at that. Yeah, no, no question, Peter. We have that document. We have talked to AWB. We're absolutely applying the findings from 
from, I mean, it's an extensive report. It's much appreciated. Um, we're actually absolutely taking that into consideration. We've also talked to, um, which I think is, is particularly notable for this crowd. We've also talked to a number of the Washington State members from both the House and Senate, and they have shared a little bit with us about what all the work that they put into at least the house the house's proposal they've shared uh, they've shared that with us as well so we have we have seen where their focus is um, and they've done great work as well so trying to be as broad and comprehensive here as we can as Senate staff were providing us an update AWC president Su Ing Moody interjected to welcome Senator Murray to the call all right oh Senator Murray so nice to see you and welcome. Thank you so much. We've done the introduction. Everybody knows all the wonderful work that you've done um, for us and continue to do. And I just want to pass it on to you. I know your time is limited with us here today, but thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you so much. Sorry, we're in and out of voting and a lot going on. So I uh, appreciate the opportunity just to say hi to folks real quick. Um, thank, thank you for allowing me to come and speak with you today. I, I'm hopeful we'll able to do this in person next year. Uh, but first of all, I think you know a little bit, but I wanted to give you a quick update on some of the really important provisions that were included in the American Rescue Plan that passed the Senate last weekend and just passed the House a few minutes ago. And President Biden will be signing into law any day now. Um, in addition to direct payments, uh, as you all know about, we expanded unemployment insurance, funding to help our K-12 schools so our kids can get back into school safely, funds for higher education to support them, um, and many other provisions, uh, include, and includes more than $350 billion in uh, financial assistance to state, local, and tribal governments. I've been out across the state talking to so many communities, uh, mayors in small towns, big towns, community state officials who are really struggling with their budgets because of reduced revenues um, and having to keep their own staff safe and the, and the cost to that and continuing to provide essential services. So I'm really glad that um, we were able to get this funding in and I know it's important to all of you. Um, uh, I know that there's much in this package and I'll let my staff talk more, take questions from all of you on that, um, but we are not done. We have a lot more work to do um, and there's a lot of issues that need, need to be addressed. And I know one you all care about is transportation infrastructure. That is the next major piece of legislation that the president will be talking about and putting forward. We're in the middle of the process right now to figure out uh, how, how that's gonna move forward and what, what it's gonna look like. But I've been all over our state. I've been on roads, bridges, highways, ferries, at our ports, talked to so many people, and I know we can't wait any longer. So I'm delighted that we have um, the process beginning on this and look forward to your input um, as we begin to put the pieces of that together. Um, and finally, I just want to say, I know many of you care about earmarks. We're not using the word earmarks anymore, uh, but we are talking in the appropriations process about how we can have community-driven uh, funding, which is so critical to many of you. And I'm proud to stand up and fight for those kinds of dollars in the, in the appropriations process. They have to be transparent. We're talking about putting a cap on it, but as we move forward, we hope to have a, a really good plan so that many of the things you all are working on um, that we can help you advocate for at the federal level is gonna be critical moving forward. Well, thank you, Senator. This is Peter King, CEO of AWC. We really appreciate the time that you're with us this morning. Um, I, I did want to follow up on, uh, you know, the, the discussion about recovery legislation and uh, infrastructure. Um, one of the one of the questions we have is how can we ensure that workforce funding and skills development will be included in the bill? You know, there are reports that we've got 15 million workers unemployed. 
and about a third of the jobs are are likely to the loss is likely to be permanent. So, um, can you give us a little sense of of funding that might be available to help train workers, not only infrastructure related, but you know the economy is changing. How do we how do we address that issue? Well, thank you for that question, Peter. And on top of being a senior member of appropriations, as you probably know, I'm now the chair of the Health Education and Labor Pensions Committee. Um, we are talking about our next steps as a committee, and I've been out talking to all of our members, Democrats and Republicans, about their priority, and the number one is workforce training. Um, we have got to figure out where we are right now. We need to get funding out to those folks who are doing workforce investments in a way that helps build a an economy back that everybody can be employed again. The economy has changed. The way we educate people has changed. We've got to take that into account. And uh, and uh, the obviously the infrastructure package is a critical part of that. If you don't have the workforce, you can't spend the money and do it right. Um, but there's a lot of other areas of our economy that we want to look at. So that's a, a priority for all of us. And I welcome your thoughts and input on that right now. We're just beginning that process. Great. Thank you. Uh, one other infrastructure related issue, somewhat unique to our state, um, dealing with the obligation for fish blocking culverts. And, and I know that this is a particular interest to the, the Puget Sound area, but, you know, the state itself has about a three billion obligation to deal with state culverts, but we have the same infrastructure upstream downstream of culverts that are owned and operated by cities. And we think it's about a two and a half billion dollar problem, uh, for our fish blocking culverts. So I'm just curious if what, there's been any discussion about whether there might be some federal assistance in states that have fish passage issues that implement, you know, they implicate tribal treaty rights. And I know, again, this may be unique to, to our state, so it may not be on others' agenda, but it's a, a real challenge that we face as cities. Uh, the state is focused on fixing the state problem, but it doesn't necessarily fix the problem for the uh, salmon habitat. Well, before the pandemic, I was out looking at culverts on the ground in the mud. So I <laughs> totally have been there and understand this. It's a real challenging issue. Um, let's work with my staff and see what we can do in terms of appropriations for cities in particular. I know the state fun uh, has funding. It's a very expensive uh, challenge for all of us and trying to get our arms around how we can do that is critical. I'd love to work with you on that. Great. Thank you. As we said goodbye to Senator Murray, Peter King continued the discussion with Senate staff. I'll just also just introduce myself. I, I work on housing and tech telecom issues, uh, as well as agriculture and fisheries for the senator, but here to help answer any questions that come up in that space and, and how it relates to, to a potential infrastructure package. One of the things that we're, we are seeing certainly is more frequent and more difficult cybersecurity attacks on local government and particularly utilities. I was just curious if Congress is considering any kind of a new program or funding in terms of both modernizing and defending communities from attack. We're, we're grappling with this as an organization trying to help our, our communities stay on top of this issue, uh, but I'm just not not sure what's, what the conversation is at the federal level. Hart, maybe that's for you. Yeah, I appreciate that. And, uh, uh appreciate the the large um, the large scope of this issue right now and kind of how how flat-footed we've seen even the federal government's been on this topic so uh, I think it's pretty well known uh, in Congress that more needs to be done and I would point to um, this is this is targeted on the federal side but this is a noticeable 
and significant uh, increase was a final ad in the Senate version of the American Rescue Plan does include a large plus up for CISA uh, to tackle cybersecurity issues at the federal level, in addition to the U.S. Digital Service, which helps modernize uh, platform and delivery of our online services. Um, and as kind of a, a preview issue that um, Senator Murray is working on right now is um, a re reintroduction of uh, U.S. Digital Service Act, um, which would provide funding to states, cities, localities, tribes to uh, stand up digital service teams within the government and be able to uh, more efficiently and effectively deliver services. And it has the cybersecurity piece of it, but I, I think generally this is something folks are looking at. I don't think we've seen a big proposal yet of how this could be implemented or dollars um, capacity building being offered yet on the ground, but um, we're kind of, you know, putting our masks on first, if you would use that analogy in terms of the federal government needing to beef up security uh, in light of solar solar winds attack. Um, and, and I'm hopeful that we could also turn that attention to the local level as well. So that's definitely something on our radar that we want to uh, try to track. And to the extent that, um, you know, there's there's stories and examples on the ground, uh, you know, there's been some high profile ones in the recent years, but, uh, you know, helping put our arms around what the extent of the need is uh, would, would be a helpful info for us as well. Great. Thank you. I do see a question posed by uh, Tacoma Mayor Victoria Woodard, who, congratulations again, Mayor, on your uh, leadership position with NLC. The question is whether uh, you think the infrastructure package uh, will be put out by the White House or will Congress be leading that charge? How, how do you see that playing out? Yeah, um, Mayor Woods, thanks for the question. There are sort of two ways that we have been looking at this. Um, I think if we are going to be pursuing a large-scale infrastructure package that incorporates all the things that we've been talking about for the last decade or so that extends beyond just highways and bridges, it incorporates broadband and waterways and schools and communities, um, I think we are going to absolutely need some leadership from the White House, um, especially if we are going to, and it sounds like this is the approach that's preferred by President Biden, if we're going to try and find a path toward um, 60 votes, which will be required to pass any legislation in the Senate, um, theoretically, that has to come from the top down. So if the president's plan, and this again will be, this is above way above my pay grade. I mean, if if they want to start out and try trying to build a bipartisan coalition for popular infrastructure uh, efforts, which I think they do, then President Biden and Secretary Buttigieg and, and Vice President Harris and, and the entire team at the White House, they're going to have to lead that charge. If, however, we're going to stick to the more traditional route of reauthorizing a surface transportation bill, Congress will most certainly lead that. So I think that the people at the top and the and the you know this include and the, the President Biden on down and, and Majority Leader Schumer and Speaker Pelosi and everyone in those leadership roles will have to make a determination uh, as to what they think is possible um, and what the best paths are toward um, toward actually passing a bill because I think the true measure of success you know following um, the 1.9 trillion American Rescue Plan that we just passed is is our ability to be able to continue to continue to be able to actually legislate. 
Um, and so there's some challenging, there's some challenging things right now that, that, that everyone is, is kind of dealing with and trying to address. And so I guess to, to, to answer your question, uh, more specifically, we don't actually know. Um, but, uh, but I think we will probably, those questions will be, will be answered hopefully in the next, you know, short little while, because, um, you know, I, we need, those areas need focus, you know? Infrastructure, transportation, jobs, workforce, as you mentioned, all those things are, are critical needs right now. So good. Uh, okay, I guess switching back to uh, community driven funding is the term that I wrote down since we're not calling them earmarks. Can you talk a little bit about uh, is there a proportion or a thought about, um, you know, how much in a, in a package might be? Uh, earmarks versus might be a total package. Is there a threshold that uh, c Congress is looking at, you know, a certain percentage of funding that might be, go toward community uh, driven projects? Yeah. So as part of the agreement that has been struck by um, by the, the House and Senate appropriators, there is there there are certain limits that have been established. Well, I guess that have been theoretically established. Um, limiting the amount of total spending in a given appropriations bill that can go toward earmarks. I can't off the top of my head. I don't know if you remember. Is it one percent? Yeah. So it's one percent. I was right. It's one percent of discretionary spending. So it doesn't it doesn't count toward the mandatory side, but it's one percent of discretionary funding. So basically, one percent of the appropriations bill that we pass will be reserved for earmarks. The House is actually limiting uh, member to ten requests. We are not doing that. The Senate is a bit more open. We, we, we also don't yet know if Republicans are going to participate. I, I assume some would like to. It doesn't mean that they will. But, you know, on the, on, on the plus side, if they don't choose to participate and there is a dollar cap, that's better for us because there's more money to go around for Democratic requests. During the conversation, Senator Cantwell joined the call. Here is Mayor Moody introducing her. Senator Cantwell. Welcome, and thank you so much for being here with us today. I know it's been a busy day. Thank you, and I know you've had a busy day yourselves. First of all, thanks for the great opportunity, and thanks for everything you guys are doing to make sure that we continue to make uh, the right kind of investments. And uh, Association of Washington Cities, I don't know if this breaks a record when you're not back in Washington, but uh, two years in a row, I don't know that that's ever happened, right? So thank you for doing this virtually. And thank you to the mayor for her hard work and for her leadership uh, as part of this organization. And um, I wanted to, you know, express just appreciation for, you know, all the mayors and council members who are, um, you know, part of this. Um, you know, we've been very busy, as you mentioned, uh, Mayor, that the whole package of COVID relief efforts starting a year ago to where we are just with the passage last week has kept us pretty busy and infrastructure investment has always you know been a big priority that last week's package included seven billion dollars for state and local governments and additional stimulus checks unemployment benefits and it you know contained money for vaccines you know stuff that you've probably already read about in the paper but we really tried to say that the deficit for, you know, in the impact of transportation projects not getting funded was uh, critical to address in this package. So it contains 30 billion to keep transit agencies afloat, 1.3 billion for Washington transit agencies, another 1.7 billion for dedicated Amtrak funding, 
to help get our you know daily service and get over 140 Washington State employees back to work that are part of the Amtrak system. It provided another $8 billion for airports, $217 million for Washington airports, and, uh, you know, uh, lots of other um, support for infrastructure. So we know that um, now we're going to get to the infrastructure bill. And that is, you know, needs to really be a collaborative effort between everyone working to focus on the needs of our communities. Uh, we've had a few ideas and we'd like to discuss them you know, with you today. First, we want to take what is now known as the infra or the freight program that was a model of federal uh, support for projects that helped us keep our economy growing by moving freight. And uh, we modeled it on what Washington State had done and created a federal program Many of you may realize that the Lander Street grant was one of the biggest grants our state has gotten, and it was done with that info program. And we had um, uh, a project in Tukwila, a project in Moses Lake, and uh, I think there might be one more. So we really believe that infra works for us in the context of we're a state that has to move a lot of freight. We have a lot of issues with moving freight and congestion. And we think Lander is exactly the kind of project where, you know, we might have good infrastructure, but the last mile to get from the freeway to the port or in the Moses Lake case to build rail connectivity to an already existing airport infrastructure uh, was really key and or the Barker project in, in over in Spokane. So we want to increase the amount of funding dedicated to freight and the infra program this year. We want to make some you know, tweaks or changes to it so that we're focusing on what will make it even more effective. We also think that it's time for a federal program on at-grade crossings. We feel that cities and counties are oftentimes left with the challenges that we face by moving freight and yet the corridors uh, have their challenges, particularly the safety and efficiencies at at-grade crossings. And we know the challenges that many communities face communicating to the state and communicating to the federal government about these. We feel like they're almost, I'm not saying left on their own, but we feel like they are left without the proper resources. So we think a federal program that would allow uh, counties and cities uh, to apply would be a, a great way to help us at railroad crossings throughout the United States of America. So that is yet to be introduced, but we think that it should be part of the next infrastructure um, package. We definitely believe that um, we also need to put resources on the table for the impacts of infrastructure on salmon. We feel like we could be doing more to help us with our salmon population and in our environment. And we'll be looking for ways that the federal government can help us on that. We think mega projects overall also uh, need our utmost attention. We have many in our state, whether you're talking about the West Seattle Bridge or you're talking about the Columbia River Crossing or Highway 2 or the Spokane Corridor. You know, these big projects, we can't um, let time continue to go by just because of the size of the projects because their economic impact on us are so big. And as I mentioned, there was money in the you know, this most recent package passed last week by the Senate that is support for transit's loss of revenue. But we think in the next infrastructure package moving forward, we have to increase 
transit and rail passenger funding and help preserve what we have as relates to sound transit and to the Amtrak and the Cascade uh, that we Cascade services that are so important to our state. Um, we definitely want to, as the part of the next infrastructure bill, include uh, broadband. Uh, you guys could probably fill my ears with broadband stories. And we tried again in the various COVID packages to increase funding for existing federal programs that help communities deal with broadband or give access through our schools and libraries like the E-Rate program. Uh, but it's not lost on us that the COVID pandemic clearly showed to us the huge vulnerability of all of us not being able to communicate effectively online, that it created haves or haves nots or emergency situations when it came to rural healthcare. And uh, we have to build out our brand broadband infrastructure. So this is something I know is totally bipartisan by my colleagues. Uh, you know, there were a couple of proposals for the last COVID package on a bipartisan basis to basically turn broadband into almost more of a state grant program and just give money to the state. So we'd love to hear your feedback on that. Uh, we think that broadband infrastructure investment, uh, really, we need to monitor what we're, what our investment is getting us in closing the gap and uh, figure out ways that this next package can really help us meet that goal, whatever that is, if it's 98% of the population or, you know, 98% plus some program for the last 2%, uh, you know, to help us in some more targeted ways. Uh, housing will also be a huge priority for me and I hope for the rest of Congress in the uh, infrastructure bill, affordable housing, we all know is a crisis in, in our state and around the nation. We just have not kept pace with demand. That There's just no other way to put it. We We've had growth in demand and we've had affordable housing that's lost its place in the market that is uh, affordable housing that had a designation that then got turned into market-based rates. So literally people in South King County getting pushed out to have no place to live or to, you know, no place to find at least affordable housing uh, compared to what they were uh, receiving in the, in the current stock that we had. And then obviously the pressures of growth within Puget Sound has created its own problems and raised the price of housing overall, given the demand. So we have to build more supply. There's just no two ways about it. Got to build more supply. So we'd like to see a 50% increase in the low income housing tax credit. We think this would give us a boost in the United States of America to, to uh, make a dent in the, the problems of affordable housing and uh, the cities and counties played a really key role in helping us get some uh, modest but successful increases in the last two big uh, packages of tax policy that Congress passed. So Senator Young of Indiana and I will be reintroducing our affordable uh, housing tax credit legislation. And if that's something that cities can get behind, uh, we certainly would um, appreciate that. And then last, you know, we do have to continue to modernize our grid. We think an infrastructure package should include uh, grid modernization. Uh, you obviously can see from Texas, not everybody is set on what to do to make our grid most cost-effective for the energy sources moving forward. We in Washington state even could benefit from more capacity 
and uh, ability to build out uh, more distributed generation. So we hope that our colleagues will will look at that too. So um, I'm sure we'll get a chance to talk about these things in the Q&A, but thank you guys for being on the front lines of the pandemic. Thank you for keeping a workforce moving and going on these important issues. And I look forward to your questions. Well, thank you, Senator. Uh, really appreciate those comments. You touched on a number of issues I know are important. Uh, a couple of questions or just some comments on the first, thank you. Thank you for all of your work on the American Rescue Plan and the fact that there is direct flexible funding available to every city in the state. It makes a huge difference. We have lots of good data on how CARES Act money was used and it's gonna be critical going forward. So we really appreciate your support in that area. I will also mention, you talked about collaborative uh, efforts on infrastructure. I know we've talked with you previously about a, uh, building the economy report that we prepared with the Association of Washington Business, the counties and the ports and cities all got together and issued that report. I know your staff is very familiar with that, but I would encourage you to take a look at that and see where we determine the most appropriate targeted investment in our state would be most helpful, helpful for the economy and for job creation. So uh, I appreciate the fact that you raised salmon uh, as an issue. That's certainly to our uh, area in the Puget Sound Basin is a huge issue, a huge cost issue that we haven't figured out how to how to address. I know the state is working toward addressing its problems, but we have local issues with habitat and uh, blocking culverts that we we need some help from the federal level. So we'll be uh, following up with you um, and Senator Murray's office as well. I wanted to shift away from the uh, COVID response and shift away from infrastructure a little bit. Talk, you know, we're working at the state level on on some meaningful police reform issues in our state. And I know that the House has passed the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. And I just want to get your sense of whether you think the Senate's going to take that up or what's the what's the feeling in the Senate in dealing with some of these uh, police reform or police transformation issues at the federal level? Well, I hope that we deal with it. I hope that we do something. Uh, I think it's, you know, I think I don't agree with my, you know, Republican colleagues who think that this is just solely a local issue. I think when it comes to the civil rights or civil liberties of individuals, the Department of Justice plays a role. It might be at, at a very high level. Um, it might be from the perspective of sometime coming in and making sure that those civil liberties and civil rights are upheld. And uh, certainly when it comes to consent decrees and looking over local police departments, we feel like they've played a pretty good role, that they've come in and said, look, this is what you need to be doing. This is what you need to be thinking about. Please you know, work on these issues. If you will, I think they played a helpful role in Seattle in the past. I think they played a helpful role in Spokane. Uh, so we welcome them to give input and ideas that is the Department of Justice, like, you know, almost like a comprehensive view of what would what would work. But any place where we're not upholding the civil rights or civil liberties of an individual, you know, we have a problem and we just need to we need to fix that. So I know our state's considering legislation policy. I think our state's probably been on the forefront of this issue for some time. Um, I think there's all sorts of uh you know, issues here as it relates to the training and skilling of a workforce that you want to make sure, uh, you know, performs in, in the ways that you as the cities and the oversight of those workforces 
you know, need for your communities. Um, so, I, you know, I'm confident that our state will continue to address these issues and, and move ahead. But I do think federal legislation could be very helpful. Now, um, the bill that the Senate uh, had uh, considered last time, I think left a lot of gaping holes. And I do think that our Republican colleagues, at least at that moment, had the attitude that why should we really be dealing with this? And uh, I do think that that federal oversight role has been there since the Civil War, post-Civil War. I think these are when laws came into place about the civil rights and liberties of individuals that needed to be upheld by law enforcement in our communities. And I would I would suggest that anytime we've gone wrong, you know, that's when the the federal Department of Justice has stepped in. So let's see if we can get some better uh, better processes in place. And you know, I'm confident that our state can help in leading the way. I'm getting a lot of uh, thumbs up on broadband uh, as part of infrastructure in my Q and A box here. I wonder if you might uh, talk a little bit more about what you see as broadband. The study that we did four years ago identified quote, rural broadband as an issue, but I think we've come to recognize in this pandemic that it's certainly much more than a rural issue. It's an availability issue. It's a cost issue uh, in all sorts of, uh, you know, urban areas, rural areas. Can you can maybe share a little bit more about what you've been working on in broadband? Well, I think that access and affordability, as you were saying, are two uh, very important issues as much as um, you know, actual existence of broadband. By that, I mean, you know, yes, you can be in a big urban center and still not have the access that you need for something as important as education or your job, or it might not be available in a way that's affordable to the community. So the disparity here was just COVID laid that bare. And now we have to think about this differently. So, uh, we're going to have a hearing even starting next week about the RDOF auction. That was the rural uh, uh, broadband auction that the FCC just recently did. And, you know, we've heard a lot of feedback from people about what the pluses and minuses of that auction were and what, where we think we are. But I would say it's safe to say, I'm not, you know, I know I'm on a call with a lot of people here, but I, you know, I'm not saying something I wouldn't just say, you know, generally, you know, I'm pretty sure in an infrastructure bill, you could get a lot of colleagues to support a sizable amount of money for broadband, you know, in the tens of billions of dollars. What I'm not confident about is that we're going to spend it in the right ways unless we really get together and talk about what's working, what's not working, what what would the system look like. So we really welcome, you know, inputs from cities and counties. And we just have to get beyond the basic discussion, which usually starts as, well, where's the map? What, what's the map say that we actually have? And I think our state's done a pretty good job on crowdsourcing information about mapping. It's probably given us a better picture than some of the providers have been able to give us. And so we need to get beyond just this constant, what does our map really look like and get to what, what how do we fulfill similar to what we did with rural electric co-ops and rural, you know, electricity and telephone service. And how do we take the money that the that probably I would agree is probably a time right now where people will make that investment and uh, and make it work cost effectively. So the thing I was referring to on my colleagues is that there was a group of about 10 senators that was a bipartisan group and they were from all over the country. And they in the in this last 
COVID package, the previous COVID package, tried to get a broadband package. And they had basically as a group, so this was the two main senators and Senator Cassidy and Senator Manchin and, you know, a host of others basically, you know, would have given a large chunk to just direct to states. And while I think that, you know, there's some elements of that that really could be positive, you know, but there's also history of some places where we've given grants to states and, you know, they set up a state office and then after a while it peters out. And and so we we got to get this right. It's critically important. Everybody's in agreement. So I think the details here is really what's going to matter. Great. Thank you. I do also want to thank you. Uh, you talked about freight movement and grade crossings. I know your staff and some Commerce Committee staff reached out to us about a month ago, and we had a really good conversation about some of the needs that we have around the state. So, uh, you know, really good example of your staff uh, reaching outside of Washington and trying to get get uh, information on the ground. Well, we definitely appreciate you responding to the calls, just as you mentioned, because that really does help us. And, you know, we get that everybody else is, you know, in the same, you know, challenging environment. And so we, you know, we appreciate, you know, people probably working from home and still compiling details and answering questions. But thank you. Thank you, Senator. We're so happy to have you uh, with us and also uh, working on our behalf in Washington, D.C. So thank you so much. All right, everybody. So again, I want to just uh, take us back and just say thank you for all the people attending here today. If any of you have questions, please feel free to uh, reach out to me. Feel free to shoot me an email or give me a call. I'd be happy to have further conversations or or get those to the right people back in those offices. All right. And so everyone, thank you again for joining us this uh, this time for this online briefing with our Washington State Senators. And we'll see you again next time. And with that, the call came to a close. Thank you to everyone who took the time to attend the call live or listen to this podcast. A huge thank you goes to Senator Cantwell and Senator Murray, as well as their staff, for taking the time to meet with us and respond to questions. For more information on AWC's work at the state and federal level, be sure to visit wascities.org. There you can view a data story on culverts and salmon recovery, read a fact sheet about the American Rescue Plan, and learn so much more. The AWC City Voice podcast is a production of AWC, where our mission is to serve our members through advocacy, education, and services. Please note that audio clips from this call were edited for length and clarity.